Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host and joining me right across the desk from yours truly is my beautiful wife. Her name is... Just Jen. Just Jen. And uh, you're along with us as we talk about stories of hope, encouragement, triumph, all kinds of positivity, right? Perseverance. Perseverance, overcomers. Yeah. I love talking to overcomers. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so uh, I'm super excited today, Jennifer. <laughs> I'm calling you Jennifer. Uh-oh. You know it's serious. Uh-oh. I'm super excited today. We're going to be talking with uh, Bethany Jackman. And I think you're going to find her story to be one that is unimaginable initially and then quite hope filled after. Okay, well, I'm excited. Uh, here's here's the thing. This woman, mm-hmm. she lived through Columbine back in 1999. Oh. Probably uh, the most prominent school shooting up till that point. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, probably the school shooting that sparked a whole bunch of others after. Right. But I can't imagine being there. I can't imagine being a student. I can't imagine what it was like. And uh, she was there. Being a parent. Yeah, being a parent. That's horrible. Um, so we're going to hear her story. We're going to hear how she has uh, persevered in spite of the challenge that was laid on her lap in um the tender year of 14. She was 14 years old, a freshman in high school when that happened. Wow. So I uh, can't wait to talk with her. Um, I've talked with her briefly, and I, I got to tell you, she's intelligent, she's smart, she's confident, and uh, she certainly has has let this transform her since it happened, and um, I think she can help others. Well, let's give her a call. Should we give her a call? Let's do it. Should we get her online? Yes. Let's do it now. Okay. Welcome to the show, Bethany. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's it's our pleasure to have you on the show. And I know I connected with you via Instagram, and I was searching through Stories of Hope, the hashtag. And I came across a an account, The Small Seed, and uh, looking at their account, they had this profile of uh, Bethany and some of her story and immediately I was I was transfixed and yeah. so Bethany I'm hoping that maybe you can uh, first of all tell us a little bit about your life who you are your family you're married how many kids you got where you live etc but then you know in addition to that tell us a little bit about um, you know some of the adversity that you faced I think early on that has formed you into the awesome woman that you are now Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, I would love I would love to. Yeah, so I am currently living in Denver, Colorado. Love it here. And we see my husband and I have four young kids. Their ages are 10, 8, 5, and 2. And they are so much fun. They definitely keep us busy. <laughs> I am mostly a stay-at-home mom, but I do have a photography business on the side that I dabble in that I have been kind of doing since college. But I do love to be home with my kids. And I was raised, born and raised in Littleton, Colorado. And I actually met my husband in middle school. <laughs> really? Um, 
Yes. So we met in middle school and we went to high school together and we dated our senior year, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) Now you guys, you guys Um, met in middle school. So I have one really important question. Was it love at first sight? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for being honest. Are you kidding? (laughs) Yes. No, I love him. He's like the best ever. But he, um, so when I met him in middle school, he was probably a foot shorter than me. (laughs) You know, I think in in middle school, boys still have cooties, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And you know how girls just, they grow faster. They go through, you know, that they grow faster. So I was taller than him. He was short. Um, But we were friends and we met through church and stuff too. So we were good friends. And then, um, but yeah, there was definitely cooties happening in middle school for sure. So it's really neat that we actually have that history because we we went to high school together and and we both went to Columbine High School and we were freshmen in 1999 when um, the tragic shootings occurred. So you guys were freshmen in high school at Columbine when the massacre happened. That's right. That's right. We were freshmen. We were 14 years old and. It was April 20th, 1999, and it was a beautiful spring day, and it felt just like any other day that morning. I was a freshman, like I said. It was fifth period for me, so fifth period earth science class. I was in my earth science class, and I came in, and I sat down with my lab partner, Jenny, and she was a good friend of mine, and we started doing some work, and um, we had the best teacher, by the way. His name was um, Coach Mo. He was one of the um, football coaches, actually. And he also taught earth science and he was such a cool guy. He was beginning to take attendance and we were starting on some work. And as he was taking attendance, we heard some popping noises. We kind of just assumed that it was like a science experiment down the hall. We thought, okay, cool. There's something weird going on in the science room down the hall, you know, but then the fire alarm went off pretty soon after that. So we, so then we thought, sweet, it's a fire drill. So we Which you always to, think when you're at school, yes. like you're like, okay, fire drill. Okay. This is going to be, this is going to be, you, is, you know, a distraction. You never think it's serious yeah. ever. No, yeah. no. And you, and you're excited to get out of class. Of course. You know? yeah. So we started to exit the classroom. And as we were leaving the classroom, we got into the science hall. Another um, teacher, another a woman who taught science down the hall, she, she came running towards us and she said, get back in your classroom and hide under the desk and lock your door. Someone has a gun. And we looked at each other and thought, yeah, right. Like that doesn't sound real, but okay. So we all turned around and we went back in the classroom and Coach Mo locked the door and we hid under our desk. And that's when we started to uh, realize the the seriousness of the situation because then we started to hear the gunshots and um, we, and they were coming closer and we knew, okay, this is actually for real. This is happening. And so we all huddled in the corner of the classroom and we, and it's, it's kind of cool because everyone in that classroom at that moment started to pray mm-hmm. and we were holding hands and it didn't matter what your religion or what your faith was. Everyone was praying because that was really all we could do. Um, and you have to remember that in 1999, nobody had cell phones, you know, mm-hmm. there were a few kids that had pagers. <laughs> they were <laughs> the fancy kids, you know, they had pagers. So the pagers were going off, but no, it was um, really neat. We were praying and completely 
completely afraid. You know, we were overcome with fear. I remember worrying that, you know, I just envisioning what was going on outside that classroom. Like, who was it who could possibly be out there with a gun and why are they here? And I remember, you know, worrying that they were going to find us. And the gunmen actually did walk past our door. One of them, there were two gunmen, but one of them walked past our door and we did have, there was a bullet that was shot through the wall and it, and there were some girls that screamed and I thought, don't scream, they're going to find us. But I believe that we were protected because they didn't even try to come in. And so we stayed safe in that room with our classmates and with Coach Mo. What was Coach Um, Mo doing at the time? He was just sitting with us. He was close to us. He was saying, he was saying, stay calm. He was just being, he was being a good support just by being there. And he was, he was like, a, he had this amazing sense of calm. And I was really grateful for that. Now, were you um, and Jenny together? Yes. Her and I sat huddled together, holding hands and we prayed together. So we had, we stayed in that classroom for three or four hours. I can't tell you exactly the length of time, but we were hiding a while and we eventually as the noises died down we started to kind of get up and stretch our legs and we looked out the window and we saw that there was the SWAT team and we saw the helicopters and we saw that the street was blocked off and you know some scary things that just kind of like we knew that we were grateful that the police were there and that things were happening but we didn't know we really didn't know what was going on so we you know we were still really confused but there were we did have tvs in our classroom so it was a mistake but someone turned on the tv and then all the news channels were showing columbine high school predicted like 50 you know dead you know like they were it was just the it was like the media was blowing it out of proportion and so that was so then coach mo said okay we're gonna turn this off (laughs) um so so we knew that people were injured and so that was when we started to worry a lot about our our friends and our family and, and siblings and stuff like that. So, so then finally at a few hours later, the SWAT team got us out and they were not friendly. So that wasn't a great experience. <laughs> they had to kind of treat everyone like a suspect. So we all left the building with our hands over our heads and we were um, directed in a roundabout way through the high school and out, uh, out on, into the parking lot. And we all got onto a school bus. And the school bus took us to a a nearby elementary school, which is where all of the parents were supposed to meet um, and rendezvous and wait for the wait for their kids. And so my dad was waiting there at the school, at the elementary school. My mom was home with my sisters and um, my uncle was also there with my dad, which was me. And they wouldn't release us until we had been asked a few questions by the police. And then we finally we finally got released and I was able to go and find my dad and, and embrace him. And that's when I really broke down in tears and was just so grateful to be with him again. And then I went home and um, saw my family. And then that was when I had to begin the healing process. I I can't even imagine like, just like putting myself in, in your shoes. Like I, I remember that time, I remember uh, seeing the footage. I remember seeing all the kids come out with their hands over their heads, yeah, et cetera, and, and, and uh, the video footage of it. But I, I can't, you know, I just, something struck me when you said you had to go to this other elementary school and, 
you know, that's where all of the parents are expecting to meet their kids. And I'm just imagining the parents that didn't have kids to meet and the feeling that they had and just the emotions. And, and like, I can totally see you seeing your father. I mean, if you think that your life is in jeopardy or it was in jeopardy and all of a sudden you see your mom or dad, like Mm -hmm. you're just going to lose it. You just like flood of emotion comes out of you at that particular time, but just a heart-wrenching scene, I, I can imagine. Yes, absolutely. It was something that was kind of more unusual at the time, you know, these things weren't that common then. And, and we had an amazing community. It wasn't, it, I mean, it was kind of like one of those things that it was one of the least, you know, the least expected, you know, like that's not somewhere you would expect for this to happen. I agree with you. And I, and I think that the two perpetrators in this, I I really think that this was kind of the beginning of the fame surrounding school shootings. I think, you know, I think it's a mixed bag when you think about the media and the attention that sometimes these things get. I think Mm -hmm. that sometimes that can foster copycats and or influence people that may not have even thought of that ever before, but yet they see it and they see it sensationalized and somebody's now forever going to be remembered as part of this. And this is their, you know, opportunity to, to leave a mark on their world, even if it's the most horrific one possible, you know? Well, Cause I honestly right. think that Columbine was the first I've ever heard of it. Like it just, right. it, you didn't hear about it until Columbine. Yeah. And then it right. was just like one after the other, unfortunately. So you are right. It, I know. It's just, it's horrible. So take me back to it that is. time and for you and like the, here you are 14 years old, you know, you got enough of, you got enough challenges of life to deal with at that mm-hmm. time. You know, you're, you're coming into adolescence and adulthood. You're, you're going through school, you know, you got friends, you know, the societal pressures that you have at high school in general. Now, now this, mm-hmm. this kind of a tragedy. I and those, know. those, so take yeah. us through that. Sure. Well, I will say that there really is no excuse for this kind of violence. But I decided at a young age that I didn't want evil to win. I didn't. I wanted to use this experience to make me a better person, to make me a better friend. And I had to ask myself, how am I going to overcome this? How how could I use this to change me for good? Because I knew that I didn't want evil to win. And and. And those, that perspective has stayed with me throughout my whole life. Every time that I have experienced hardship or gone through trial or tribulation, this, this set me up for success because I knew that I, I wanted to succeed and I didn't want this to destroy me like it could have. And so I, I know that we've all heard that Mr. Rogers quote about looking for the helpers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so good you know he says when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news my mother would say to me look for the helpers you will always find people who are helping and that was so true at that time after Columbine um, after that experience there were so many helpers there were people in the community who you know the community came together we came together we were really strong and everyone just bonded and there was a lot more love in the community um, and support. And we found that at church, we found that at, at school, which we didn't have school for a while. We actually, it was like a few weeks before we even tried to go back to school. And then we actually had school at a neighboring high school. But when we went, it was, we had to share the high school. So they, so their, their school was Chatfield. 
and Chatfield would have school in the morning and then we would go to school at like noon or something. And then we would, I, I can't remember the exact time, but we would be at school till dinner time or something. Mm. And so we, but we actually didn't really do a lot of work. We did more, uh, we, we went through a lot of healing and we, we would write. So we, you know, people had sent cards and flowers from all over the world. And so I remember writing thank you cards. And I remember having like group discussions and group counseling sessions. And, and so that was kind of a neat experience to like go back and be with our classmates. I think that we all really wanted to be with our classmates again, but also some of the other blessings I I felt, I felt like it could have been worse. The tragedy could have been a lot worse. Had the two young boys, the perpetrators, had they succeeded in all that they wanted to, um, succeed in, it could have been worse. And so I, I, I knew that we were protected, yeah. you know, like there was some protection going on. There were angels. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, we of course mourned the lives that were lost right. and we were devastated for those who were, you know, the families who lost a child and we were devastated for those who were even injured and that had to experience such, such trauma. Um, but I did, I did feel that God was there. He was in, in the tragedy. And also our family relationships were strengthened. I know mine was, mine were, and law enforcement got smarter after Columbine. That was a great thing that happened after Columbine. They, they made a lot of changes with like police protocol and, you know, things got better in a way, you know? Yeah, um, I, I think so the, I, yeah. You, you learn your lessons and you, you learn what worked and what didn't and what you were fair, prepared for yeah. and what you weren't. And, you know, I you always hope to be able to prevent that mm-hmm. from happening again at, at some point in the future. I was I was going to ask you if the you said the community came together and, and I'm a huge believer in counseling. And so yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, how how much of your life post the event was somehow involved in counseling to help you process, you know, not only the grief, but the emotions, the fear, etc. Yeah, thank you. I wish that I would have done more, actually, because then it was still kind of a stigma to go and go to counseling, I think. But one of the coolest things was that we actually had in our church, um, we would have get togethers at church with the youth, with um, the teenagers and and they sent in counseling counselors and therapists from LDS Family Services, and they we would have group counseling sessions in a church classroom, and that was really healing for me because we would take turns kind of talking about what we had been through and how we were trying to cope, and so that that really is memorable to me. That stood out to me that that that, that helped in my healing process. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that you had some uh, opportunity for counseling. And, you know, I can't tell you how heartwarming it is to hear that in the midst of all of that, you felt the presence of God. Mm-hmm. You felt that yeah. there were angels there. You felt protected. Yeah. You felt like, you know. Well, I mean, the power of prayer, the whole classroom is huddled under their desks yeah. praying. Like, I can't help but think that there's this bubble of protection being put around this classroom oh. at yes. that time. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. I agree. I really did feel that. And I could tell you a few things that kind of helped move me more toward healing. And, and these uh, examples, I can relate to that time period of my life. And I can also um, relate it to our current situation. 
right now when we're all quarantined and we're experiencing kind of the challenge of this pandemic and how making just some small changes in our lives and putting a little bit of effort into bringing more light into our lives can help us through any challenge that we might face. So the first example I have is that I believe that we should allow ourselves to grieve and mourn. After Columbine, I put on my brave face, you know, every day, and I would try to just make the best of the situation. But at night, I would come home to my room, and I would fall to my knees, and I would just let the tears fall. (laughs) You know, sometimes when you go through something hard, you kind of want to suppress it. You want to pretend that it's not there. Um, And I had some friends in high school who didn't really want, they didn't want to show their grief. But I learned that feeling it is productive. It's actually going to move you towards healing. And so I learned that it's good to go ahead and have a good cry and, you know, go ahead and ask God, why, why me? And, but then turn that into help me, help me get through this. Mm. Um, and I, I'm sure you've seen the, the Pixar movie Inside Out. Yes. <laughs> One of Jen's favorites. Oh, it's such a good movie. And it's funny because my kids were just watching it recently. And every time they asked me a question about what was happening in the movie, which, you know, is about looking into our minds and emotions mm-hmm. and how we might think, how we might feel when we're going through challenges, they would ask me questions about the movie. And I couldn't even get the words out because I would get emotional because it's so spot on. <laughs> it's so spot on about how we go through. And I, I love that in the movie, it points out that um, joy and sadness can coexist. Mm-hmm. And I felt that after after the Columbine tragedy, I had a lot of sadness and pain, but I also found joy. I mean, there was joy afterward when I would connect with my friends or my family. And of course, I had fear, but I also had faith. My faith moved me away from my fears and it helped me to overcome my fears. That's one way that I think we should um, move towards healing is to allow ourselves to grieve. Yeah, I could I couldn't agree with you more. I think that having been through counseling myself, I I do understand that there is a cathartic release that happens when you let emotions wash over you. You don't have to attach to any of them, but just let them free flow. Let them come out. Let them, you know, like they're the it's it's part of our human experience. Yeah. You know, emotions are a vital part of the human experience. And yeah. Good ones and bad ones, mm-hmm. and they, they, they make us human. And if you stuff it, if you're always trying to repress it or stuff it, very not healthy, yeah. you know. you got to let yourself experience yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, all and the emotions. But I, th- I think you're right. I think you get to a point when you've been through something like that where you've got really two choices as to where you put your energy. You can put your energy into fear or you can put your energy into faith, and both of those pursuits require you to believe in something that you can't exactly see and that you can't touch and that you can't know for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, fear is, right. is, is worrying about a negative outcome. Faith is worrying or putting your energy into a positive outcome. And, and I think it's so important to uh, recognize that you are maybe being fearful, but in that recognition, then pivot to, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to attach to that. I'm going to be yeah. faithful. I'm going to be hope filled yeah. about the future. And I think for you coming through something like that has equipped you to deal with a lot more that life could throw at you. You know, it's like, it, yeah. it, it's, 
I can I can see that being both a an advantage and and certainly a disadvantage. I don't I don't want to minimize the the lives that were lost or the people that were never able to to see their loved ones again. But I will say that you can take an event like that, I think, and turn it into something that propels you forward in life. And um, I think the opposite could be also true. I agree. And what was so cool about our freshman class is that we got to go through high school together for the next three years. And I I loved, I mean, we were a really tight class, but I loved seeing um, all the good that came from it. Like, you know, we... It's just really neat to have seen some of the success stories. Of course, there was a lot of trauma, too. There was a lot of hardship. And there were even some, like, really devastating things that happened to some students. But but gratefully, most came out on top. And even there, it's funny because my husband and I, we, we married later in life. But there were even other people that that married each other from our class because we were that close, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, was, was he, yeah. he was in school at the same time. He was a freshman yeah, as well. Yeah, he, he, he was, yes. So he was in a different yeah, class has, than you at that time. Yeah, he actually was at lunch. And so I don't know, I, I don't need to get into the whole story, but the gunman began outside and then they came inside. And so he was in the lunchroom kind of where things started. Oh, wow. um, and he hid under his table at lunch. I imagine at some point this is something that you'd prefer to forget, but I, I think it's going to be one of those things that, that you can't ever do that with. You know, like I would imagine every time you hear about a school shooting, it takes you back. It takes you to, you know, those memories and that circumstance and empathy for others and imagining what those other kids and families and people are going through. Yeah, it does. And I, I have told this story a hundred times, but every time I tell it, I, I somehow get emotional because mm-hmm. it's, it's even though I've moved past it and I feel like I have overcome, you know, in a sense overcome it, I just, it's just a heavy thing to talk about. How, yeah. do, you, how do you feel with your own children going to school? Like, do you, is it scary? Yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it is because I worry, you know, when I first started sending my kids to school, like preschool mm-hmm. and kindergarten, mm-hmm. I had, I had a lot of anxiety about yeah. it. That was just another situation where I had to like really, put my trust in God and, and and have a lot of faith that they would be safe. And luckily our schools lock the doors. Um, there are a lot of safety precautions that give me some peace of mind. Right. Um, we, we do that now as but, well. They, yeah. During school hours, all doors are locked. And yeah, so Good. that's, that's yeah. something that has been because of these school shootings. Yeah, un- unfortunately, we, yeah. we've had very proactive conversations with our kids. Um, you know, we've, we've, yeah. always, we've always done that. We've talked about, you know, what they should be doing if something like that happens. Conversations um, that honestly, like, you should probably never have to have with your kids. Yeah, so yeah. It's just but so- it's, it, unfortunately, it's the world that we live in. And so the... You know, we have had those conversations, and and I, I will tell you, my wife, she she worries about the kids. I mean, she she'd be she worries about us getting hit by lightning. She worries about you know everyone wearing a mask right now. She thinks she's going to get murdered. You know, she thinks. Well, I know, and I and I love Jesus, and I have faith, but I still like I know that there's evil, evil out there in the world. If you believe in Jesus, you you if you believe in God, you know that there's also a devil. Yeah, you know, so yeah. the reality of it is, hurt, maim, kill, steal, you know, destroy lives, etc. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's not always Disneyland. Like I know that there are bad people out there and 
right. random things can happen. So yeah, every time I drop my kids off at school and I've never had a reason to think this, I wonder if it's going right. to be the last time I see them. Like I am I that know. mom. <laughs> I just am I know. not going to so lie. Hard. I know. I know. And I, I went through the whole process. Did I homeschool my kids? Yeah. But I, I realized like we actually, we love um, public school. We had a great yeah. experience with public school. And so, and we are in a great school district here in, in our area. Hey, you're probably homeschooling um, now. <laughs> I am now. Yes. Yes. We're definitely doing that now. It's not fun, is it? Um, it's not. We're it's not so having fun. Hard. It is so hard. It is super sure. hard. They should pay teachers yeah, a lot more than they pay them. Yeah, I'm going to start paying, paying them under the table. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, this is a good example of allowing myself to grieve. Mm-hmm. Every night I have a big cry yeah. right now during yeah. quarantine because <laughs> I think I am trying so hard to, teach, you know, to do this homeschool thing and it literally it takes me all day to help I have yeah. three kids in elementary school oh yeah that's tough. so it takes me all day to help them and they they're you know two of them aren't really reading yeah. um on their own yet so I have to really help them through every little thing and then I go to you know I'm like thank you I am so grateful for those teachers I miss them so much and <laughs> <laughs> I know this needs to end um, now but <laughs> yes but it's so true. And our kids at even such a young age, like this, this whole experience, just even without, I mean, we didn't even, we didn't want to have this conversation with our kids at, at such a young age, but it, it would come up mm-hmm. because um, there were situations when, when it would come up, for example, we would go and we would go to the memorial. We actually, you know, a couple of years ago, took our kids to the memorial and there is a memorial nearby the high school. Um, and it's really beautiful. And so in really basic terms, we kind of had to explain that there, there was, you know, that something bad happened at our school. Mm-hmm. Um, and But something that we always follow up with is that we always remind them that they are safe. They're safe at home. They're safe at school. And even though, that there, even though there are scary things in the world that can happen, we want them to be out in the world. We want them to be experiencing it and learning from it making friends along the way because we know how fun and beautiful and amazing life can be when we're out experiencing it. Um, and we don't want them to fear the world. So, and, you know, we believe that overall people are good and we're blessed to live in a country and a community where we're overall really safe. Um, but, you know, and then we have to remind them that they're, if they're ever in any kind of danger, you know, hopefully they would come to us if possible, but if not, we remind them, of, you know, that, that, that they can pray because we, because of what we went through, we knew that, that prayer really did protect us and that it really is a saving grace. Words, words matter and words to God matter the most. And, you yeah. know, I do, I do think that prayer is one of the most um, powerful things that you can do when you're feeling hopeless, when you're feeling in a very anxious and or um, scary position. I think that prayer, well, for that matter, any position, you know, we, even in the best of times, yeah. prayer is is awesome. But I think yeah. it, you know, to see everyone kind of go to an instinctual, even mm-hmm. people that weren't maybe very spiritual or faith-based to see them all in a moment come together and and cry out to god you know help us help us save us help us you know that that's awesome so i have i have a question for you so how how has this 
now um, shaped your life or helped you to deal with adversities uh, that you've that you've encountered since? Sure. There's a few more examples that I could share with you. And one is that I had to find gratitude. I had to look for um, things that I was thankful for in that situation, you know, for my life, that I was alive and that I was still here for my teachers, for my parents, you know, my sisters, my friends, my church, um, for springtime, the sunshine, you know, like little things like the blossoms on the trees. And so even now during this pandemic that we're experiencing, I have to really stretch and I have to say, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful that I get to be here in my family, here in my home with my family. Um, I'm thankful for modern technology so that we can connect. And, you know, I'm thankful that spring is coming and, you know, just little things like that. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't make it any less hard, you know, the, the challenges that we're going through, but gratitude does help your mind focus on the good and bring more light into your life. Um, and another way that I, I think that I, that worked, you know, helped me work through Columbine was journaling. And I wrote, I mean, man, I filled in so many journals in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many and they're, they're pretty embarrassing. Like it's not necessarily, I'm not super proud of the content necessarily, <laughs> but the fact that I wrote it out and I got it out on paper was really therapeutic for me. I mean, and, and so I go through phases in my life now when I will like, man, I've really got to go and write this down so that I can just relieve some of these thoughts that I'm having. And so with this pandemic, like I said, I, um, sometimes at night I'm feeling down and so I just write it out and then I feel so much better. And right now I actually journal on my computer on a Google doc. So I don't, you know, do pen and paper anymore, but, but that's, that's really therapeutic for me is to journal. Yeah, I was just going to say that that's something that I've I've said to our children. I, I said that there's very few times uh, in your life where you can absolutely say that history is in the making. And in other words, in an in, in everyday circumstance where history touches you, you know, obviously history is happening every day. But the reality of it is, is this yeah. is this is one of those few times where we all collectively know that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 150 years from now, people will be talking about this time. And I told my kids that they should be journaling because I don't think that this will be the last time that they have to worry about this. I hope it is, but um, I, I just don't think right. as long as we've got humans on the planet, I think that we'll have the opportunity for pandemics. But the point of it is, is that, you know, you'll want to remember the emotions, the wave of emotions that wow. you went through during this time. And you'll, more importantly, just like you can testify to, you want to remember that you survived it. And that you overcame right. that. And even though you were feeling that, look at what happened 10 years later, five years later, five months later, or, or whatever. So I think it's awesome that you are journaling. That's a, that's a really, really powerful thing to do, both for now, getting those feelings out, but also for your future self to look back on and realize what you've overcome. Yeah, I agree. Because we do kind of forget the, those emotions. Like we might look back and think, yeah, that was really hard. But like you said, writing down like what you were feeling, you kind of forget those details. I even think of like experiences that were hard in a really like, for example, going to Disneyland. It's so much fun, but it's also really hard with little kids. <laughs> and, um, and like it's like exhausting and it's 
you're hungry and you might get grumpy and there's a baby crying like there's all and you're waiting in you're waiting in lines like how hard I mean there's a lot of hard things about it but when you look back you kind of remember the good things and I'm not saying that we should journal the hard things about Disneyland <laughs> but um but what I am saying is that just when we write down the, the, the emotions that we're feeling, we can we can process them better, and then we can move on. And then when we do look back, we really do remember the positive and and the good things that came from from our experiences. Yeah, I, I think we do. I think for um, you know most of us, just you do lose that. You do lose the you know like for Jen, Jen and I, we like we've always been this way. Like she'll have a bad day. Like during this pandemic, she'll, she'll have a bad day. She'll be lamenting the fact yeah. that we're dealing with it. And then usually maybe I'm me having too. a good day. And then the next day I'll have a bad day and then she'll be lifting me up through the thing. But you like, you don't, you don't remember that. You don't worry. You don't remember, you know, all of the worry and anxiety that you were maybe feeling at that time. And the uncertainty, I think the biggest thing right now is uncertainty. How long is this going to go on? We know it's just a season. Like we, it, I think the yeah. easier way to deal with it is the fact that it's not permanent, that we know it will go away. But, um, yeah. I just think, you know, that process of recognizing and, and writing out, you know, the good and the bad emotions, how you dealt with it, et cetera. Imagine how useful that'll be, you know, three years, five years, 10 years down the line when you face something else that's uncertain in life. You can, you can look, Hey, I, I was, God brought me through this or, you know, I became stronger because of this or whatever. Yeah. I think it can be a very uh, powerful weapon for later in life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, something else that was really cool that happened after the shootings was a service project. Um, a nonprofit came to our church and set up shop in the gym, and it was called Project Linus. Maybe you've heard of it. They make blankets, usually yes. for babies or mm -hmm. children in hospitals who are going through trauma or, you know, going through something challenging. Um, and so Project Linus came and they set up shop in our church. And so um, volunteers from all over the community came and they brought their sewing machines and fabric. And, and we and we as students were invited to come and help make blankets. And we were actually making them for each other, for, the, for, uh, for us, for all some 2,000 students that were at Columbine that day. Um, and so I would go when we weren't going to school yet again, I would go in the morning to my church and we would make blankets and you know some of my friends would be there and some of my church leaders would be there and oh my goodness like I remember feeling so much joy and so much peace and like we had fun and we were laughing and we were we were we were creating together and we were doing service together and that set me up for the rest of my life I thought okay this is how you this is how you overcome you get out of yourself you get out of your head and you go and you serve. And whether, even if it's small, even if it's not as big as making blankets or doing a big service project, um, I learned that like going out of, you know, outside of myself and finding someone else who might need someone to talk to or sending someone a text or bringing someone cookies or ordering something on, on Amazon and sending it to a friend or sending someone a card, you know, just those those acts of service are so healing and um and so I currently actually what I try to do because I sometimes I get so overwhelmed with my kids and my life and my to-do list 
So what I try to do now is I have a note card and every week or so, or maybe every month, I make a new one and I lit, I write down um, people to serve and people to pray for. And I hang it up in my bathroom or sometimes it's just sticking on my computer in a place where I'll see it often. And if I just have a thought about someone that I can serve or someone that I should be praying for, I write it down. And then I have it in a place that's visual so that I can remember them. And so that, and, and when I do that, then throughout my day, I sometimes get like little ideas, ideas come into my head, like, Oh, that's, that's what I should do for that person or, or, you know, so, so I do believe that service is one of the greatest keys to moving towards healing. I was just going to say that there was one like really important key um, piece to my healing and that was forgiveness. And um, I, I, it's funny, I recently read an article in the Washington post called having trouble sleeping, try forgiving someone. (laughs) And I thought that's kind of cool because I think a lot of us do carry, you know, maybe we carry some um, grudges or some, some hurt from others. And I mean, this, this situation that we experienced in high school, that was really heavy. And we, I think a lot of people had a hard time moving on and forgiving the perpetrators was really, I mean, it almost felt impossible for a lot of people. Um, But I knew that I needed to, I needed to forgive them. Even though they hadn't directly hurt me they actually I mean they did they direct they they wanted to cause a lot of harm on everyone in the school um and I was a victim of that and so I had to forgive I had to forgive them and forgiving them allowed me to find more peace I wasn't dwelling on why did they do this why did this happen to me um it was more um I was able to hand it over to God and say, you, you know, you are our creator, you're the judge and you get, you know, I don't have to dwell on why this happened and why they did that. And so forgiveness is a huge, huge key. And, um, and currently I may not feel like I have to forgive anyone, for example, in this pandemic, you know, that this, this virus isn't something that someone did to us, but I do have to forgive myself every day. I think because every day I'm making mistakes and every day I'm feeling like I didn't do enough or I didn't do it right. Or I, I wasn't the best mom I could be, or I lost my temper or, um, you know, there's just so many things that I, that I feel like I have, I have fallen short in a lot of ways. And so every day I think I need to forgive myself. I need to remember that this is something really hard that we're going through. And this is something that, Everyone is experiencing, and I'm sure everyone feels like they're falling short, but if we can forgive ourselves and just try again tomorrow, you know, like we get a reset button and wake up the next morning and try again, and no matter how many mistakes we make, we can um, forgive ourselves and try to be better the next day. Very well said, but I I would say be kind to yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, in in addition to forgiving yourself. I, I think that you know, as, as somebody, as a married couple that's been together for 26 years, dated for five years before that, so effectively we've been together for 31 years, we've got four boys, our boys love us, yeah. we, we have made more mistakes than you could ever imagine, mm-hmm. Bethany, but I think the one thing 
that our kids have always felt was love. You know, they're not going to remember that you got angry. They're not going to remember that you yelled. They're not going to remember that you lost your temper. They're not going to, you know, what they're going to remember about their life was how fiercely their mom loved them. And, you know, that deposit, that's a huge deposit. You'll always make emotional withdrawals. We, We all make mistakes, but you know, my, my, I've always said to my kids, as long as you make more deposits than you do withdrawals, it'll always be, you know, okay. And I, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself initially, um, because I'm very driven, very focused, etc. that I, that I expected my kids to be a certain way. I had, I had a lot of expectation of them. And I think as I've matured and as I've grown and as I've, you know, experienced life um, in general. I think I was, I was, I had too many expectations. I expected stuff, you know, like for example, my oldest, um, Colby, you know, he got the brunt of it because he was always the, the oldest. But as I've, I've watched him grow up, who I wanted him to, to be, he's turned into more than that. Like he's, he's exceeded that, but he had to go through a process of maturation to, to do so. And so, you know, I could have stopped. I mean, I've kicked that kid out. I've thrown stuff out on the lawn. Jen's kicked him out. Like we, (laughs) you know, we, he was a challenge. Let let me just say more so than some of the other ones. And so like every mistake that you could imagine that you've made, we've probably made. And, the one things that our that our kids would come on and say is they love us. They know uh, that we love them, and I don't I don't think anything else matters. So be yeah. kind to yourself. Don't be too hard yeah. on yourself when you feel like you're falling short as a as a parent. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. That's a great point. I think we all have expectations of ourselves. You want to be the best that you can be, and I mean, you're that way. But like you, you have no problem rolling out some some discipline right Jennifer oh yeah I, <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I'm good at discipline I don't like doing it because I like to have fun with them and just be happy and fun and love but um yeah like I will draw the line and disrespect is one yeah. and the way you talk back to me is another and you know there are some right. rules and I am still your mom and that's the right. end of the story so respect yeah 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 I agree and you're you know you're right it, I, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself and a lot of pressure on my kids, but there was a quote floating around on the internet and I, I couldn't tell you exactly what it said, but it basically said like this time, I mean, we shouldn't push our kids. Schoolwork is important, mm-hmm. but them feeling safe and loved right now and our mental health yeah. is even more important. And so I think even though, yeah, I'm getting frustrated and yes, I have created like a document for my kids that has like their morning routine mm-hmm. and school routine. And like, here's when we're going to have a break. And sometimes that routine is thrown out the window, but just letting them feel safe and loved here at home is, is key right now. And I'm grateful to hear that even though we make mistakes as parents, oh my goodness, so many, mm-hmm. that it, it is amazing to see our kids grow into someone amazing and even though my kids are still young I'm already getting glimpses of that like my 10 year old and my eight my eight year old I'm thinking oh wow I I'm impressed like I don't (laughs) think I taught them that but they're doing something really cool and I'm impressed with how they're handling this or whatever so they're always paying attention it it only gets better let me just say it only it only gets better you marveling at their behaviors and them (laughs) them growing into like I sit back and you know with our four boys and I look at 
like what a unique combination of both Jen and I they are together and then their own personalities and like them continuing to develop. And it's it's really surreal as a father when you hear your own words coming out of your kids. And then it's really <laughs> surreal so cool, yeah. when your own words are coming out of your kids directed at yourself to be reminded about I'm what sure. you taught them. <laughs> That's surreal. Oh, yeah. I believe it. I believe it. Well, in, so in closing, um, I just, you know, I just like to ask, you know, I just feel like you're a hope filled person. I feel like you're someone that can encourage others. I feel like you've uh, certainly been through your own adversity and come out better on the other side. So for anybody that's feeling anxious or worried or concerned, you know, what could you share with them uh, right now that might help them get through this period? Sure. Well, I like Um, what we talked about, about being kind to ourselves and forgiving ourselves. But I also think that using this time wisely, you know, and and I look back at how I coped after the Columbine tragedy. And at the time, I didn't have a smartphone, you know, this was 1999. (laughs) And so I was able to go and take some time for myself away from distractions. And I used that time to grow and to heal and to, like I said, journal and and pray and all those things. And so I think that in our day to day, we have so many distractions and it's so easy to get sucked into Netflix and Instagram. And and there's actually a lot of good that comes from those things. I, I believe that, but, but it's easy to let it consume our time. And so I think that if we can really ponder on how we can use this time wisely and productively, that we would, we would benefit so much from that. And so thinking of like working on new skills or reading a book that we've always wanted to read or listening to a podcast that you've always wanted to listen to. to. (laughs) Yes, 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 exactly. Like this, (laughs) I agree. This is like a time for learning and a time for growth. And don't let it pass you by, you know? Yeah. It's a perfect opportunity for self-reflection because you it's, it's very difficult to grow unless you can stand outside yourself and really kind of take stock of where you are right now. And I think that this is an opportunity for people to uh, take the time to self-reflect, look at the areas of their life that they are happy with and then maybe some of the areas of their life where they know that they need some work and really kind of endeavor to maybe do the work that they have the time now to do in those other areas that are struggling, you know? Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much, Bethany, for, you know, coming on our podcast and sharing your story. I know that it's not easy and I know it probably takes an emotional toll um, every time you share it, but I can't, I got to be honest, I can't listen to your story and not feel much better about my own circumstance right Mm -hmm. now. Like what we're dealing with right now is really small in comparison to what you've been through in your life. And, uh, you know, so thank you for filling us with some hope and encouragement and some inspiration. Um, you've you've been awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And you know what? Every challenge is valid. You know, we all go through our own challenges, and I love that. It, that's what makes us unique, and it does make us stronger. And I'm grateful for my unique challenges, and that that you've allowed me to share some of that today. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're welcome and uh, happy to have you on and and, uh, wish you much success moving forward raising those kiddos. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. Yes. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you. 
that was incredible. She really, really at my core inspired me. I can't imagine what she's been through, but to 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 go through that and then to come out on the other side and be as well spoken mm-hmm. as as hope filled, as confident, as faithful as she is. Can yeah. you can you imagine? I cannot even imagine. Um I just I loved talking with her and I loved that, you know, like at the core she was like evil will not win. Yeah. And I love that, you know, the strength that she had. That fighter spirit mm-hmm, that, you know, mm-hmm. this will not ruin yeah. me. This will not poison my I life. Because you have two choices. Yeah. You know, you can either let evil win or fight. Yeah, you can let it destroy you yeah. or it, you can let it make you into something better. Right, right. And I and I really feel like her trial by fire made her into something that was much better. She's a light of hope for others. She's like a phoenix rising from the ashes. If you can go through something like that, Mm -hmm. what else could you not live through? Right. I mean, what are we complaining about this pandemic for? Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not complaining anymore. After hearing that, I'm just, there's no complaining coming out of my mouth. I I agree. And so I will be able to remind you if I ever hear any complaining, correct? You won't hear it. (laughs) I promise. I I believe you. I believe you. (laughs) Well, that was an awesome um, experience. And I can't wait to uh, share with you who else I've got on the line for a possible interview. Oh, wow. Each one is such a surprise to me. Yes. It's exciting. Uh, I'm going to be talking to a gentleman about financial sobriety. Oh, okay. I had never heard the term before, but when you hear Matthew Gershman speak, it's incredible what he says, what he went through, what he, the situation he found himself in. And so that's why financial sobriety, y- you'll get it all okay. when I do the interview. Okay. I'm, all right. I'm eager to learn more. <laughs> As always. And so thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back here, same time, same place tomorrow to offer more hope, encouragement, and inspiration. And enlightenment. Enlightenment.